Hi, this is Sarah Bueno. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. You guys, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a thing that I don't want to do, but now being in this realm of podcasting and marketing, I'm realizing I have to do and I'm trying to do it in the most authentic way possible because that's kind of the only way I know how to move through the world. But I'm going to do the thing where I say, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and or follow us on Spotify and or potentially rate the podcast and or like us on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I say that and it feels gross. And I'll tell you why it feels gross, because when I was a kid and I was in musical theater and show choir and all that kind of stuff. I got the message from my mom. Well, first of all, I struggled in relationship with other people. And I, at that time in my life, really struggled with self-worth and self-esteem. And so that was part of it. You know, a lot of times we react to our own lack of sense of self by maybe ingrandizing who we think we are. And that's really who I was as a kid. And as a result, I had a lot of people who disliked me. The theme that I heard in my life growing up until I was out of college was, oh, I thought you were a real bitch until I got to know you. And my mom would always say, oh, people are just jealous of you because you're so talented. So I had this really gross feeling about, I guess, publicizing myself. I really struggled with how do I show up and own my authentic talents and not seem narcissistic. And it's something that is a very deep wound for me and something that I continue to hit up against. So when I realized I was going to need to start asking for some of these things, I felt like, holy shit, do I really have to? And I think I do. So If you like what you're hearing and you're enjoying the podcast, I would appreciate some likes, some comments, some reviews on any of the platforms that you listen. I really do want to share the message that we share on this podcast with as many people as we can. I've been getting the feedback that this is helpful, and so I want it to be as helpful to as many people as possible. And in order to do that, I need your help. So thanks for listening. Today's guest is extraordinary and so, 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 so special. It's, I was crying half the time that I was interviewing her and was trying not to be like (laughs) all up into the microphone. So today I interviewed Susan Lipschutz, who is my therapist. I've been seeing her for... Oh my God, I should look at the calendar because I I would almost bet you it's been four years to the day. I'm going to check that out and let you know on the outro because I'm going to guess that it's exact. That would be crazy. That's exactly what it is. So Susan is a licensed clinical social worker and a sacred feminine activist with more than 30 years of experience teaching and practicing integrative psychotherapy. She's devoted to building intentional communities that reawaken and integrate the divine feminine into daily life. Susan combines the ancient wisdom of our grandmothers with her own powerful teachings attuned to the complexities of modern life. She's the founder of Everyday Medicine Woman, offering workshops, meditation courses, and retreats around the world. And you can learn more about Susan at www.everydaymedicinewoman.com. I'll also be posting all of her links on the website. You know, I follow her on Instagram and on the Facebook groups and all sorts of things. And when I'm with Susan, 
I can't, it's so hard to put a finger on things. It's, it's so great when she talks and can actually put words to the experiences that she creates because when I'm in her presence, I feel just wholly loved and seen and, you know, growing up in a household where I didn't feel like I was authentically seen, the the therapeutic relationship that Susan, you know, brings and, and builds in the room has just been so transformative for my heart and soul. And, you know, I have my own spiritual wounds from, you know, my childhood and my upbringing in the church. And the way that Susan has helped me really I guess put aside some of those wounds and to step into my spiritual beliefs in my own authentic way. She just, you guys, she's just magic. And I am really excited to have you hear her interview. And we've already decided we're going to do a part two because there were some things that she talked about that I was like, ooh, I want to know more about this, but I know you have to go. So <laughs> so please enjoy uh, what is definitely going to be part one of who knows how many part series of Susan Lipschitz. Enjoy. Well, hello, Susan. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm wonderful. Wonderful. That's awesome. Mercury retrograde hasn't got you down too bad. <laughs> I'm rolling and flowing with it. <laughs> and I liberally make all excuses. Uh, yes. Everything that goes on in my life right now till the 15th of April, which coincides with tax day, is uh, ah. is affected by Mercury retrograde. So I'm yes. surrendering. I'm surrendering control. <sighs> okay. I'm going to surrender too then. And hopefully we won't have any technological issues. So welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I am so excited to be interviewing you. I am overwhelmed with delight. So thank you for being here. Truly, it's my pleasure. And it's a joy to work with you and such a beautiful experience. And I really feel honored that you asked. So it's it's wonderful. Again, that's my word for the day. Yay. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right into the wonderfulness then. Do you mind sharing a bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. And I was talking with you before that, that, you know, when you uh, interview someone who has a longer journey, meaning I'm an, uh, an older person, <laughs> we have a longer story. So mm -hmm. I'm going to try and be as succinct as I can. I kind of look at my work, my professional work as like a tree with branches. And as most trees do, the branches grow over time. So mm. what began as more of an experience of working post MSW in a professional way and building that in a more traditional format and paradigm and platform quickly accelerated with all of my uh, varied, I would say beyond interests, but callings and yeah. um, points and strong feelings and what was going on in the professional and collective world right then that was happening, which was incredibly exciting when I um, was coming on the scene. And then everything sort of colliding into really moving out from, from that particular paradigm, outgrowing it and it breaking around me and having to sculpt and cultivate something that I felt was as authentic and and more than that uh, could really provide for the clients that were coming in in a way mm -hmm. that I felt was more uh, fulfilling for 
their potential to get them out of survivorship into more of a thriving and what that required and meant for me to do that. But I think it was also coinciding and really was born out of my own my own emergence uh, for, at, a, at a really deep soul level. So it was all cultivated from there. And so what's grown out of that over the years is now it's been hard to language what I do and I still yeah. struggle with it a little bit. But I would call myself an integrative psychotherapist is just the way that I uh, approach it because the integrative rather than holistic allows a sense of mm. not only are we embracing everything, but we want it all to start to speak to each other and to be aligned and kind of threaded together or woven, woven by the essence of ourself. And so I have that on an individual level. And so what goes on in that space is very collaborative. It's a creative space. It's a deep dive that we do together that the individual brings all of themselves into. And I think I help mm-hmm. organize and bring perspectives and open up vision and do some elements of uh, unpacked trauma work and grieving. Yes. And then a lot of mentoring, but I wouldn't say mentoring in a thought field way, but it's mentoring at a spiritual level of who are we becoming. And so Mm -hmm. I bring in a lot of cross-cultural work that I've done uh, as ways of seeing healing and seeing ourselves and seeing ourselves connected to our lives and opening up and using different kinds of visionary and evolutionary tools, I would call like astrology and Mm -hmm. Akashic record readings and different indigenous principles, philosophies, teachings, and so forth, earth honoring, spirit, nature, human. So I do that individually. And then I found that we, because we don't heal in a vacuum, we heal and Mm -hmm. we live in community. And so that sense of how do we start to do that in a way, because a lot of times we come from families or our work systems or whatever that don't mirror our evolution. And so we need a space to feel really safe and a space to feel well held and a space with like hearted kind of individuals where we can start to see and be seen and to have this experience of self and other and to Mm -hmm. work in an interactional way, but not so much in a a staged way, so to speak, with like yeah. group therapy, but more really holistic. Because when I when I went to visit other communities, what I would find when I was searching for, well, how does healing really happen? Mm. Everybody talked about, well, nothing happens without being together, you know, and that's the joy of it is to be with one another. And that is the call and response that we see in other, again, in other cultures that we've lost. And I think that's that creates that isolation here that creates all that heartache. So then I created, moved out of that model of group therapy, so to speak, I was doing women's groups into replicating an indigenous model of a circle, of a tribal circle, Mm -hmm. not appropriate, misappropriate, but it was more to allow that place of witness, to allow that place of no crosstalk, but more of a sense of the power of being seen and the power and the beauty and honor of choosing your words and Mm -hmm. putting that out there and everyone being equalized. Because when everyone's in circle, there might be a facilitator, a time holder, an organizer, but everyone is equalized and it's really vulnerable to be seen. So I create intentional communities to do Mm. all of my teaching and all of my interactions. And so it's really quite profound within an hour how you can create an intentional community or a weekend or a week or whatever it might be. So that's Everyday Medicine Woman, which is the umbrella for the business that I'm always reluctant to own and call as a business, which I think is the biggest shadow side is that all these years, I've been in private practice for over 30 years, probably 35, Mm. but I 
to really say that is a business. And one of the things I love and I'm learning so much from my younger sisters is that in the business and so forth is that everybody claims their business self, their business identity so much more quickly. And being mm. a character, you'd think I'd get that down so I can huh. work it. But, you know, to say, hey, I've got a business and it needs to have that kind of authenticated platform and working with all of that, uh, it, it really never done. And, you know, I do it, but I don't do it in that embracing kind of right. way. But it is. And so Everyday Medicine Woman is the umbrella of all of the collective work that I do in that way. And it's been beautiful. And then I have another branch where I, I officiate weddings, which I've come to really love and officiating some rites of passages around other life events that I've, again, really, really blessed to help support for people that I care about in terms of helping them have a beautiful beginning and a conscious ending, if need be, to their life's journey. So there's and there's a lot in between. So that's my work. Right. So, yeah, very succinct. <laughs> but it's... It's so funny because when I first started seeing you and it's definitely been four years now because I saw you right after my dad died. And when I would when I would come home and, and you know, my husband and I would be, like, oh, what'd you talk about in therapy today? And I would be like, I don't know, but I think God was speaking to me in some way. And I imagine that, you know, being the receiver of that, you might be like, oh, well, but that's not God, blah, blah, blah. But I always tell people that I send to you that you kind of, you really are a channel for the divine. And you really do, when you talk about creating this intentional space, like, you guys, Susan is so amazing. I can't even tell you. I, I, how, I've probably sent like 10 other therapists to work with you, haven't I? Because I just, the work that you do is amazing. And and the changes that have happened in my life since we've started working together, I never thought I would be here. So I am just, I'm just going to keep singing your praises. You are so sweet. And I'm grateful for it. And a way I guess I would reframe that is, I feel like I trust the process very deeply. Yeah. And the process that I know, whatever that might be for me and a space that uh, that I might create where what can happen is we can begin to not only touch into our greatest difficulties, but touch into our greatest hopes for ourselves and relaxing into the essence of our love, for lack of a better word. And it was interesting mm -hmm. because the last several years, I've immersed myself more, even though I've been a, a student of astrology for many, many years to bring it forth more because I've seen it being so at a collective level, the trends are just so remarkably helpful mm -hmm. in seeing. And then individually for us to know, understand those cycle points and how they help us understand why things are happening, when they're happening, and how we can collaborate them more. And there's this incredible therapist who's also a brilliant evolutionary astrologer who I finally had a chance to work with last year. And the way he talks about it, and this more works for me with, with the Akashic readings that I do, the soul mm -hmm. readings, is mm -hmm. that he said, you know, once we engage, and he's a therapist, but he said, once we engage in opening up the field of love in the space, mm -hmm. the miracles start to happen. And I think that is a word that we as therapists are taught to drain out of the Yeah. And I think, again, in, in more recent training, but certainly when I when I was being trained a long, long time ago in the old dark ages, you know, we even had a watch. And I get this. I re we do need to be incredibly responsibly and present for our role in someone's life and mm -hmm. being very clear about that and being clean about that. At the same time, you know, all that emphasis on being the blank slate and, you know, watching the lighting in the room and what you're wearing and how you're, you know, all of this ways in which we need to restrict and almost distract ourselves with our presence in the room, as opposed to really focusing on what's not only what are we picking up in our head, but how can we use ourselves as a therapeutic instrument in understanding yeah, yeah. what intuiting, what are we feeling? 
what are we feeling that is really theirs moving through us that we can then utilize as a, as a diagnostic tool? Yes. Um, because they're disconnected from it. And we're intuitive. All of us, yes. uh, particularly anybody who goes into this field, one of the reasons that we go in is we can't, we want to fix everybody not, because yeah. we can't stand the discomfort, <laughs> you know, that we're yeah. in. It's like, oh my God, this is, this is hurting me. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, a designer will come in and want to fix your lampshade or something. You right. Know? It's like, like we want to help everybody so that we can feel better too. It's, it's, I know there's a codependent quality, but it's also, we're feeling it. So mm-hmm. in any way, if we can start to organize that in a diagnostic way and utilize that information to bring it into the session, but what makes it all really work, what is the secret sauce, you know, as some might say, is connecting that we really understand who we are in that, in that room. Mm. We understand why somebody's coming in, but we also appreciate that in humanity, what we've gotten disconnected from is an experience of love. Yeah. And when we tap into it, a higher octave of love. So it's not it's not me personally loving you from that place that right. you know right. can be inappropriate, but me saying that that love exists for everyone, everyone is worthy of love. And in that space of being held energetically and starting to hold that experience kind of like a chiropractor would give an adjustment or something, mm. I think for therapists, we are in not invasive in a negative way, but we go very deeply with someone mm-hmm. in being, being able to find in the imbalance, creating the sense of balance or what it feels like to be in harmony with one's self, with one's self-esteem, with one's sense of compassion and loving for self and others. And yeah. when that space, however, we go there and get there and we can hold them in that, they can start to replicate that and also feel the dissonance of that in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then we bring language to it. So I think it's for when you talk about that channeling experience, I think what I try to do and what I found is is through with the clinical kind of base. But mm-hmm. then it's like, what do they say? You need to, oh, Picasso, I think said that, learn the basics. I don't remember the quite thing, but it's right. something like, Learn how to be, learn how to be the artist, and then break all the rules. And then forget and, it. Yeah, yeah, and forget it. I, <laughs> yeah. I really botched that, but it's mm-hmm. that that sense of you know it was all intuitive, but learn it all, and you need to know it. Mm-hmm. But then you need to make it your own, and you need to sort of say, I need to now, I need to now go offline here to really get at it, and to again embody it and make it my own. And that's that's what happens. So I think by me embracing deeply the humanity as well as learning, you know, truly going into a lot of training, but not the kind of training that we've done maybe Mm -hmm. in a Western way, but a training that we do where we bring our full self in and that requires our own healing and our own spiritual growth, our own discomfort in all of those areas to hone the intuitive skills, to hone that ability to create a safe and sacred space that then allows for all of that to happen and then help everyone to define it and and discover it in themselves. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I do have to knowingly turn myself over. And I I find Mm -hmm. on the days that I really, you know, I'm really my most kind of grumpy, disoriented, didn't sleep well self. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, some part of the universe going, you know, you would be really too controlled and you would try to... (laughs) (laughs) You would be in your way today. (laughs) So in your way today that we are going to just make you so uncomfortable that you can only, all you can do is punt it and, and, you know, and get there off map. Uh, Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And, you know, as you were talking about that, that work of self, I mean, that's, I think that's what I've been most frustrated with in, you know, being a therapist and facilitating trainings and and doing all that is seeing so many people who really struggle to step into their own work. And so, I, I mean, I think this is a good segue into 
you know, this wounded healer piece for you, you talked about having a spiritual awakening of your own that kind of, I think, carved out a little bit of this path for you. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing about that experience, I think would be really, really helpful to the listeners. Sure. You know, the beginning really deep time, which is when I think we do have, I do liken it to a birth metaphor in the sense that I just had somebody in who's kind of, she's at her end stages of her pregnancy. And we're laughing mm-hmm. about that, that, you know, when you go through what they call these um, mock Braxton Hicks contractions, oh. and you think you're going through labor, and then you have the real labor and you go, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> a lot of times we can think we're going through something and it's really preparing us. And then, you know, when we go through it, it really is one of those life crises where everything's falling apart and everything starts to come back together. And mm-hmm. I use them, uh, what I learned in working with a lot of the shamans in, in earth honoring traditions that they work in a naturalistic way and their, you know, office is a river and, you know, mm. a, a garden on the top of a mountain. So it's it's very naturalistic for them. But the, the sense of if you're weaving and the weaving isn't the pattern you want, you can't keep weaving it. You have to take it apart and weave it mm. beginning again. Mm-hmm. And Or if you've planted something and it's not growing right, you have to tool the soil, soil and get everything out and start, you know, get it right. So I think it's that same way of we keep thinking we can really elegantly, you know, kind of create our own experiences of growth. And we can do that to some degree, but it's truly collaborating with life crisis, real life yeah. crisis. That is the rite of passage that we all go through that then, you know, we learn so much about ourselves and it kind of redirects our life at the same way. So for me, I had all of those interests. I was very, very early on, you know, getting my cards read and tarot and my palms and all that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and, and working as a therapist and more and more, you know, before that even just kind of going on track into what I thought my life was going to be like. But then what ended up happening was, and I, I wasn't somebody who wanted per se, not wanting, but just I was in my own career thing. And I was married newly. And it was like, I, I woke up one day, I was like, I was supposed to have a child. And I, it just became this intuitive driving thing, like, you know, almost like the baby whispered in my ear. And Aww. so I was very fortunate and and I got pregnant. But through it, I started to find myself really feeling strongly about natural childbirth things. And in those days, it wasn't like, you know, the candlelight doula playing cool music. It was like <laughs> you and the doctor. It was a very different experience. But my point being, when I went through this experience of having this having this baby and it was completely out of control and really Mm. scary and hard and all those things. It it was actually a a pretty easy birth. But through the birth, I fell in love like four hours later after the baby was born. And they, you know, it was like that moment where you're out of it. And, you know, know, my Mm. daughter was brought to me. I'd never felt love like that before. I thought I had, Mm. but I've never, my, at the time I couldn't articulate heart chakras. I couldn't articulate all this. I felt like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz where I was in black and white and suddenly the world was in color. And that's just my truth. And so when I went through that, having that heart opening, everything changed. So soon after that, and I just, you know, I went through whatever it took. So I was adamant about nursing and adamant about no formula. And so mm. I'm carrying in my, you know, my rented pump and doing all that stuff while I'm seeing people. I went back to work in a month. Oh my gosh. I practice, I know, but I was so committed into this idea of my practice needed me and everybody in there, you know, yeah. and it was this murder thing, like no one can survive, even though of course I did all that coverage and I did an incredible job. I researched it. I did all the work with everybody, but Mm -hmm. I did put self in the equation. I guess where I'm going with that is pretty soon into the work, I started to hear things and see things in my sessions 
and so I was already working with this incredible spiritual teacher, Sonia Shokat, who's now internationally known. Yeah. But at the time, I was basically getting readings for from a couple years before that with her in her kitchen, and she was still working as a, a mm. flight attendant. And so we kind of grew up together in those wow. ways. But so she she was already learning some things, and she was saying, "Oh, you're channeling." And so I, I really had to go into it because it was so kind of frightening to me. Like, how was I going to tell people one of my supervisors for their right, right? Like, where was I going with this? Um, it was actually, it was scary, but it was also really beautiful. And I had these breakthroughs with people that I would have never gone through had I not had this happen. So yeah. I just went with it. So it was, it was a beautiful time, but it was also a very chaotic time because I couldn't understand nor could I get on top of everything mm-hmm. that was happening. It was very heart-centered, it was very intuitive, and it was very, you know, in some ways difficult. So where I'm going is it just continued, you know, because these extraordinary experiences happen. I could go deeper with people. I had, I think, bigger, as I say, breakthroughs. I was also having this deeper experience of myself in the world. But the life that I created so meticulously was also beginning to sort of crumble, you know, like I created that with in my marriage and this professional persona that I, I was so proud of was just not, it was too limiting. It was like a serpent shedding her skin. I was starting to, you know, get smothered by it. So it was a difficult time. I had another child. My mother died six months later. And so I think what I'm saying is all the professional accreditations I had on my wall were not helping me through this. You know, I had to really find a way to make sense out of. And I'd say when my mother died is when I went through the dark, the dark part of the cave, you know, with even having mm. the kids, these things it was like, oh, isn't this cool? All these things are happening and I'm growing in this new element in my life. It felt really beautiful, even though it was hard, but this other place felt really painful. Mm. And that's where I had a search for how do I make sense, not just of the spiritual things that were happening, but face this notion of, of a God consciousness that I, quite frankly, didn't particularly believe in. And that's when really, that, yeah, yeah. <gasps> wow, that is surprising to me. And yeah. how amazing. Wow. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, so this gets back into my little feminist card carrier <laughs> experience was when I was in about third grade, I think it was, or younger, I think I was like nine and we were in the temple and I said, why does, why do they say God's a man? And she said, <laughs> I don't know. Let's go ask the rabbi. So Amazing. I said to the rabbi, why, why do you call God a he? How do you know it's a he? And he looked at me and he said, why don't you talk to my wife about that? And hmm. I thought, you know what? Your wife is not my spiritual leader. I thought this wow. like, is a, like a little, you know, kind of cocky nine-year-old. Yeah. You know what? Screw you. Like, if you can't <laughs> answer that question, I can't come here. And it took a little while to extract myself out of there. But I saw some things happen in my family and it just was Mm. like, I don't know, this God's not working for me. It's so, Mm. I just really walked away from, I still loved the traditions and the culture Mm -hmm. and it was the culture of my grandmother who I adored and it was, it was a sense of family and home, but the religion did not make, do it for me. So I really felt a schism in that way. So I could proceed that. And that's why I have a lot of empathy for people when I talk with them and say, you know what, it's not about, it's about having a force of something yeah. that you can have faith in that is larger than you, that is a pure love source. That's where we want to get to. Because it's going to be a leap of faith to believe in yourself. It's going to be a leap of faith yeah. that you can go deeper than your family experience. You can trust in a way that you couldn't trust there. How are you going to do that? We have to get a wider, bigger net. So that was when I faced that. So where I'm you know, getting at is I kind of feel like I had all these parts of the 
beliefs, of the awakening, of the principles, but they were all living in separate parts of myself. And when I had Hmm. uh, this child, it sort of, you know, it was almost like, you know, when they say, how did you create this incredible candy or something or you know like and they go well actually I tripped I was having it all in my (laughs) yeah yeah it's like that's what happened everything sort of collided my world's collided and then Mm. I could do nothing else except surrender to it and then try to make sense out of it and it took me a good a lot of work including a divorce to get myself through the other side of the first five years Mm. and then I could say you know what I'm ready to actually become a student of a spiritual practice. And then I had to find my teacher. And that was a whole journey in and of itself. And then on and on and on. And they say, you know, the greatest compliment you can give a teacher is to outgrow them. And so it's been this journey Mm. of, you know, that just hurt my heart. Because that means one day I'm going to have to move on from you. And I don't want to ever think about that. I look at it as we walk together. We just walk together in a different way. Ah, Okay. I feel oh, gross. No. We'll have to talk about this later. I'm not kicking. There's no nest to kick. I you know. Out I know. Yeah. But, Oof. but I think where I'm going from is, you know, the, the feminist principles that I always had, the sense of spirituality, the curiosity about the metaphysical, you know, the strong commitment to my work as a clinician, but just in a, su- a very different way. I wasn't content with the way that it was. I felt the system was mm-hmm. broken. It's, it's, So uh, if we get back to this notion, were you asking about wounded healer? Yeah. Uh, So I think for me, I don't love that particular phrase. And I think it's because we also see it in astrology. There's a there's a particular Mm -hmm. point called the planet Chiron, which is, you know, it's all based on Greek mythology. And Chiron was the teacher's teacher. He was Mm -hmm. the teacher of all the mystical practices and all the uh, alchemicals, but he couldn't find a remedy for himself. So it talks about in the chart, this is a point where you lose your life force, the experience of it. And it naturally returns about 49 to 50, where it can become wisdom. But they consider it to be a a multi-lifetime experience of of moving through into Mm. a a healing of the soul, an evolution of of soul from a human experience of, of a wound or a trauma. And so I kind of look at it as when we talk about a, a wounded healer, we put it to me, it almost feels like it's static. It isn't something that evolves and moves. Also, I think we all have a wound. You know, how could we not go through our childhood and not right. have trauma? You know, it's not to mm-hmm. me possible. It's the degree of it, degree and the degree to which it isn't. When Oprah was on a couple of weeks ago in 60 Minutes and she talked about childhood trauma and it was just so profound mm-hmm. the way she talked about that simple wording of what blew her mind was when you change that sentence from to say to somebody what happened you know what's wrong with you to what happened to you something happened that impacted you in such a way that starts to put it in a context that it it shifts this belief in someone and and a sense of hope for someone as you start to deconstruct and then start to put together what is the mystery that altered your natural constitution you know in that way so so in that sense of we're all wounded right and we all aspire to understand that and to transform it. And it requires something outside of our own experience, you know. So mm-hmm. in that sense, we all have trauma, then some of us get called into the curiosity around it. You know, maybe we were the ones in the family that, like I said, were oversensitized that we couldn't look away or mm-hmm. however we dealt with it, you know, then spurred our interest and in our, in our ability to say, hey, you know what, we, we have some ability to this. It's dysfunctional <laughs> the way we're mm-hmm. working with, but it also awakens our gift. The thing that I see most, two things that are really profound to me when I look at 
having the child and it awakening my, it brought all my worlds together and it brought the gifts forward, but it also brought my calling forward because Mm -hmm. it took me years to see that my calling, I do work with men and I love it, but my calling is helping women in remembering their sacredness, in remembering We really are our mysteries, our magic, our power, and that it's not to replicate the masculine because the masculine's wounded too. It's that we've lost that sacredness as a culture and a world yeah. to the collective feminine, to the sacred, to the divine. And so it's as we're pulling that forward, that's the only way we're going to heal is to see to hold life sacred. I wouldn't have known that had I not had a child, it would have not birthed mm. my calling would have been. I think it would have been really stilted. I think it really would have come out of my head and out of my ego and and all of that Mm -hmm. intensity that I felt because I did and I do. But now I know it to be passionate love. I know it to be a feras of the mother, the divine mother, Mm -hmm. you know, that's in me. But at the time, I would have never known that. It would have stayed brittle and it would have hurt me, you know, because Mm -hmm. it couldn't come in from love. So I also feel when I look at my clients and I look at my everybody, is that our calling is usually when people go, what's my purpose? What am I? And it's like, look mm-hmm. to what, you know, Andrew Harvey talks about that in sacred activism. Look to the pain that keeps you up at night sometimes. Mm-hmm. Look to what you can't turn away from. Because inside of that, once you can get into a space where it doesn't cause you pain, once you can look into a space where you can see the potential for the beauty or the potential for the growth and how we can be a part of it, then we start to see our calling in that too. So the wounded healer, I I think is more, I think we have a responsibility to address and to not be living out of the wounded parts of ourselves or the myth that we can heal them if we help other people. Really great. And I think that's coming to an end too, an extinction, because the imbalances of people who are brilliant at their work but they're really flawed. We're seeing this with the Me Too movement. Right. I know from all of the almost all the male teachers, I hate to put people in in lumped categories, mm-hmm. working in the shamanic or you know the spiritual realms, misuse their power. I had different ways that I managed to protect myself, but I saw it all over. And interestingly enough, many women that have come to me have come to me with experiences of abuse of uh, power, yeah. with masculine teachers and healers on all kinds of levels. So that's the other thing that I think gives me a lot of pause and makes me, you know, the word I would sort of align with for myself as an activist. That's why I kind of call Mm. myself a sacred activist. Mm. But I think I do feel very deeply we have a responsibility to continue to come into a place of understanding what motivates us to be whatever we call healers and to facilitate that. We, We have to be clear about it and not let it bleed into our work. Right. And as you're talking about that, because I... I find myself having a hard time teaching things that I felt were kind of organic for me and courage and faith in myself and in kind of just, you know, the universe that's going to kind of catch me has just kind of been something I just had. And so I didn't have to cultivate it. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. did you have to cultivate that faith for yourself? Because the way that you just talk about, well, I just have to like I just have to get out of the way and let let the divine do its work sort of thing. I know a lot of people who struggle with that faith and being able to let go and trust. Was that something you cultivated or, or was that just kind of born with you? That's such a great question. And I, I think we say that when we're not quite, we need a minute to sort of pause on the answer. I know, right? <laughs> great questions, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Buy me some time here. I would have to say it goes probably to the definition of what is faith Mm. in that nuanced sense of an intuition that we got it. 
you know, Uh, and so we can, those areas that we do in those areas that we don't, I think you and I probably share an intuitive kind of bravery and being willing and just going into some uncomfortable places and trusting Mm -hmm. that we know why we're going in there. It's not about us. It's about helping facilitate a process. And so we're willing to be a scout, so to speak, or to just say, all right, let's just go in and make this work. So there is Mm. a faith in, in our ability to sort it out at an intuitive level. Um, that's not a great answer, but that's, I, I'm intuiting the answer is to say, right. I don't really know, except so. Mm-hmm. So I guess my quick answer is yes. I can also say, though, that there's many things in my life that I don't feel that intuitive faith in. They just mm. don't happen to be in my work. They happen to be in, you know, other areas that I think that's when I get paralyzed, so to speak, in that sense mm. of I don't know that I can do that. And, you know, they might be, for me, more physical-oriented things that I've Mm. had to struggle with. Like, that's where these experiences of literally going on, you know, okay, we're going on this hike, and we have to go through these areas that we don't Mm. know, you know, how to make it work. Some people are very great. They're good explorers in that way, where they go, I don't know, we're just going to make it work. Like, we'll find a way to jump Mm -hmm. over the crevasse. And I don't (laughs) think so. Um, So I think I I have that sense that it's just more as it relates to this level of as you know with people with the interactive with the us with I can get you through that because I believe in it that's the only way I can say it is faith is something we believe in is the absence of evidence and I have it as it relates to you know the discovery for other people and I think elements of myself I had that in in my youth and I think that's why I was able to hustle my career the way mm-hmm. I did is I did believe in myself to be on that I should to be on that in a way that I should have uh, in some way <laughs> awesome I'm wondering too, kind of just back to the word healer, because I don't think you've addressed that yet. And I certainly call you a healer. And it's funny, as I've been interviewing people, I've been getting different responses to that word. And most often people have this fear of taking on that word because there's this assumption that if I say I'm a healer, that means I think I'm doing the work for you. But I imagine that given your experience and the the way that you incorporate spirituality and all of these other concepts and ideas, I'm wondering what your take on the word healer is for yourself. I would probably join the club in my reluctance to call that. And I do think it is the the reluctance around setting up an expectation around the er. You know, I would say this is a mm. healing space. I do think healing happens. I think miracles happen, but you can even hear me with the with this discomfort uh, around articulating. As I said, I've always struggled with language. I don't really mm. love labels. Yeah. The closest I could get was in terms of that collective work. That's why I call my business Everyday Medicine Woman in that sense that I do believe that everybody has what we would call medicine within the meaning yeah. that they have something that is potent and a remedy for other people in the world. Mm-hmm. And when we start to understand what that is, we can bring that forth in a, a more organized and thoughtful and replicatable way that we can take ownership for it mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, in that way, make contracts around here's what I can bring forth. In terms of the individual experience and in work, I've done a lot of shamanic training. I really bristle when people call me a shaman because I feel it's disrespectful to the people who have devoted their life Mm. to a lineage practice that they've born into or they've devoted themselves into Mm -hmm. in a way. Uh, Although I will say that I do feel very, very fortunate, very dedicated and very blessed to work with shamanic and medicine people who have been really generous and given me permission to work with these 
these teachings and these tools in a way that I felt was very authentic and I felt very seen and I felt very honored. Mm. So I felt comfortable being able to do that, but I also feel very sensitive about the way we misappropriate and we borrow mm -hmm. in a very kind of quick, like in our culture, we want instant healing, like, you know, right. McDonald's, like I'll drive through and get it. And when it no longer feels good, I'll go to something else, you know, right. and it's to be able to understand we have to sit with and have patience and, and the healing process can take a, a very long time and it can happen in an instant. So it's right. time and patience and all those things. But getting back to the word, you know, if other people wish to use that as a way of describing me or my work, I accept that and I accept the love that comes with it and the experience mm -hmm. of what transformed for them. But again, I don't call myself a healer because I think it speaks to my ego. And once my ego gets going, it's not pretty, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't like living from that place. And yeah. so I do think we need ego strength. I mean, we can't step forward and say, yeah, you know what? I will take responsibility for this. And I do feel capable. But when I think we get, we get labels around us, even mm. teacher, I don't really love that. I do teach. Really? I, I guide. I mm. just don't like author, teacher. I, mm. I, I know we need words to describe ourselves, but I just hesitate with those. I don't feel comfortable mm. in the way they box us in. And I think more than that, when I was younger, I loved having those kinds of, oh my God, I'm being called a teacher. I'm being called a, you know, a speaker. Mm. But then the more I got into it, I saw that it just didn't, it was great to just articulate in a fast track to say, yeah, this is something I can do. But I think now we're getting so into this branding and yeah. having to message ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And it just, I think we jump into a space that maybe we're not ready for or a space mm. that we that we need to stay humble with. So I, I haven't worked it all out. That's all I can really yeah. say. And it just kind of makes me think, you know, I am very particular about the language that I use, you know, to talk about myself, to talk about clients and, and the language that I encourage clients to use. And so I think, you know, labels such as teacher, healer, author, all of these things, it might mean one thing to you and it might mean something totally different to somebody else. Absolutely. And then that perception, you know, and, and right. I, I totally get the ego piece of it. I relate to that as well as like, you know, I've sometimes I find myself getting caught in the shame trap where the only way I can feel OK about myself in relation to somebody else is if I'm better than them at something. Mm -hmm. And that's totally an ego driven piece. I think it's equally hard to own our talents and our gifts while not <laughs> while not taking on this this label that leads us down an ego path. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a piece of my own shadow work is this sense of I even giving myself that tag, you know, everyday medicine woman, it's kind of mm -hmm. funny because it's not my name because it's about the collective. But right. I can often say, well, you know, there's been a way people, it gets almost invisible and then it doesn't always serve me because mm. when I want opportunities that will launch or have a sense of being able to get to, you know, the audience that I think is really wanting to hear the message, if I don't allow my own sense of self, my own me to come forward and be seen in my discomfort of that because I don't want it to be about me, but then it's right. saying, yeah, but I'm stewarding it, you know? Right. And I've seen that it's really asked me to step up to this and sort of to claim that and to work through what are my myths about that? What's my own discomfort? How do mm -hmm. I hide, even though I have principles about this, right, that perception and about our collective, but then to say, yeah, but I'm also hiding in there in my own, mm -hmm. like you say, if I come out and I'm more visible than I'm, you know, does it also bring up the discomfort that I have about being there? So I've been really working on that as well, because mm -hmm. it's, 
the work is being asked out of me to step forward more over the past, you know, few years. And I think what's helped me is that the length of time that I've been doing the work, I think I'm at this place where you either start to claim that you you were one of the pioneers or you are mm. going to be holding the door that everybody walks through. And mm. I can get really kind of like, wait a minute, all these people are talking about doing, you know, goddess work and circles mm. and, and doing all this work around the collective after, you know, just like they've started after two years. And right. I've been doing this for a long time. And it's like, well, yeah, but the other thing is, is that the women that are coming in now, and it kind of, you know, pisses me off. It's like, how do you know all this? It took me all this time. <laughs> right. You're getting it. Like, right. what is this? But they're pre-wired. They came in in a mm-hmm. different generation. They don't have to, you know, go through. And I don't even mean it's just like the long, hard journey. It's just like they get it. So right. it's part of the evolution that we really hope for. So that's mm-hmm. why I love doing intergenerational work. But I think where I'm coming from is I'm feeling this sense of stepping into eldership And I'm really loving it to be able to support. Mm. As a matter of fact, one of the things I really am craving to do is a mentoring group for younger women with older souls because I see a lot of women. Yeah, isn't that great? I see a lot of women who have these incredibly uh, older souls and they're kind of struggling with that. Yeah. They need to be supported and not feel like they have to grow too fast. So I think, this, mm. like I say, I love, I'm really adoring and loving working with my my younger sisters, and I love what I'm being able to bring to them. And I'm finding that they're honoring it so much, and it just feels so great. So I feel mm. like I'm going to be. Maybe you'll ask me this in another another way, but I do feel that sense of mentor. I'm really comfortable with that word, mm-hmm. and facilitator and weaver. You know those kinds of words I'm really comfortable with. Mm. Uh, I think they're more fluid and they're more dynamic, and I think maybe that's mm. why I like a little more. Interesting. This question just kind of popped up for me out of nowhere, and it's not on the list of questions. So, <laughs> where do you go to do your work now? Like, who helps you after you've been in the field for this long? Most of the time, to be honest, I do work with more integrative practitioners. So I work mm-hmm. with people who are, and it's funny, I, I say I don't like to be called a healer, but I do find that the people that I work with, whatever their training has been, I can only say they're true healers. Mm-hmm. They animate the work like in their combination. So I usually work with people who have a combined ability, whether they need to start with what I'm saying or they need to work with where my body is. Like mm. I know a lot of times my body is holding what I can't get to. Yeah. And so I need I need someone to speak that language and build those bridges and translate my body, translate mm-hmm. my emotions, help me get to that places that I can't. So I find that there are certain times certainly where really masterful, what I mean is just really intuitively strong space holding, understanding dynamic therapists that I will go see and they'll help me kind of, you know, deconstruct some things and help me see into and help me understand, you know, particular moments um, where I need guidance. But I will go to people that have the facility to work with the different levels Mm -hmm. of who I am. And that's the the work that I do. And I often do it in chunks of work, like when I'm going through Mm. something that is is a more complex area that I know. and And I work with astrologers very regularly. That's a really important path to me that helps me see in so I, I would say mostly I work with people who are not traditional therapists. Mm-hmm. Cool. I was just wondering, like, what, how, <laughs> who, yeah. who does the healer go to? And I'm calling you a healer. You don't have to take it, but I'm going to call you that. <laughs> and I, I know where you're coming from. And it's yeah. yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that. And yeah, I know it gets complicated, but I'm kind of going to put a general PSA to everybody out there exploring that I think it's fine to have your 
metaphysical or your energy body, like going to have people, you know, do work on your energy work or read your cards or do psychic readings. But I think at some point, it's important to understand they are breathing life into your energy field and into your metaphysics and into your soul Mm -hmm. and spirit. So if they're not really clean and masterful and clear and grounded, they can really, I mean, it self-corrects. Yeah. But you have to be as, I think, as clear about that as anything else, like the kind of physician you would go to or, you know, whatever that might be. You want someone who's clear and well-vetted and um, you have a good, really good vibe with. Use all of that when you're starting to move into these realms as well. Yeah. Well, Susan, I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's my pleasure. I, I'm such a fan of yours and I feel like the work you're doing is so important and I love how you are from a tree that's branches grow a little more quickly than mine. Oh. You're a fast growing tree with growing an orchard mm. and your movement is big and wide and your calling is great. And so I love it. And I, if anybody I can touch through you, I'm happy to do that. And thank you for supporting my work. And I just see us as, as collaborators in a way that is moving in the same direction with the same hope and prayers for our mm-hmm. world and, you know, that we can help help it heal in a bigger way and and bring the beauty forward. So thank you for asking me. All right. Well, it wasn't exactly to the day. I did look up on my calendar the first time I saw Susan. It was May 13th. So I'm ish in the right time of year, but uh but it wasn't exactly it wasn't exactly 4 years to date that I met Susan. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much to Susan Lipschitz for being my guest today. I just can't even, I can't even with the thanks and the, the honor that it is to be able to work with her and have her share her work with, with the listeners. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. Liam O'Donnell, my good friend for taking that awesome album art photo and Ben Mueller for the theme music. To find out more about Susan Lipschitz, you can visit my website at www headhearttherapy.com slash podcast or bit.ly slash wounded dash healer. You can find conversations with the wounded healer on Facebook and Twitter and Stitcher and Google Play and iTunes, all the other fun place that you find podcasts. So you can check the website for more details. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.